Well, good afternoon or good morning, wherever you are. Uh, thanks to uh, Greg Tate and Greg McDonald, the only two guys I know who listen to this show constantly. <laughs> Not even my mother listens as much as you guys do. So uh, today, my guest on uh, Rockets Bacchus, I'm sure you'll agree, is a very interesting, engaging woman to hear from. She uh, She's come a long, long way across the world. She's been uh, served in the Canadian Armed Forces for 23 years. Uh, she was a funeral director and embalmer in Scotland for 10 years. And uh, she eventually came back to uh, Canada uh, to a job that she's currently doing as an elected chief of the Algonquin First Nations community of uh, Nagan. So I think I nailed that again, that pronunciation. All right, Wendy? Yes, that was perfect, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm definitely not a native speaker. I barely speak English most days. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a word that I had difficulty pronouncing. Uh, you know, when we changed our name, of, we changed the name there about 10 years ago from Golden Lake uh, to Pickwocknagon. And Pickwocknagon actually means hilly place. So if you've ever been over in this area, you'll see that it definitely is a, a hilly place. You know, the hills of Madawaska Valley. Oh, I didn't realize that Golden Lake and uh, Pickwagnagon were Wagnagon were the same uh, uh, same place. Well, there's the village of Golden Lake, and uh, the reserve was called Golden Lake uh, Indian Reserve Band Number Thirty Nine. All right. Yeah. Well, that clears that up for me. So let's let's get right into it here. Um, you uh, you were a woman in the uh, the military for twenty three years, and I guess first, how, how, how did you end up joining the military and what was your experience of it? Well, uh, when I was young, I was uh, about four years old and we lived in Petawawa at the time. My dad was a World War II veteran, uh, so was my mother. She was uh, part of the Women's Land Army in Scotland and that's where my parents met when my dad went overseas. And uh, when they came back to Canada... Uh, you know, uh, they, they lived in Pembroke and Petawawa. So when I was four, which was in 1964, so you can uh, tell how old I am by that revelation, <laughs> I remember seeing a soldier at a store, and in those days they had the old khaki uniform on, you know, with the putties, yeah. And I was I was very impressed by him, and I thought, wow, look at that guy. And just the way he held himself, and he was immaculate, very impressive looking. And I thought at that very moment, I thought, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. So it was always on my mind. When we left uh, Pembroke and Petawawa, we, went, so we moved to Toronto. So I went to school in Toronto from 69 to 79, and... Uh, during one of our classes, I do recall the Toronto Recruiting Centre sent a sergeant over to speak to the students. And at that time, that would have been 1977, so I was 17 at the time, there was an active uh, campaign to recruit people into the military. And I, so he, I remember some of those television commercials. Uh, the young blonde guy leaping over obstacles and jumping out of airplanes. and Yes, with the catchy tune, some people know where there's challenge and laughter, <laughs> people just like you. And I know I can't sing, but... Well, it's not very yeah, warlike. 
So, you know, it, it really does motivate you. So I told my mother about the experience and I said, I want to join the military. And of course, I was only 17 at the time, so she would have had to sign the papers. Right. And uh, so I went to the recruiting center and I spoke to, uh, his name was Warren Officer Mackay. I do remember him distinctly. Uh, he had the same uh, last name that my mother, uh, her maiden name was Mackay. So that oh, okay. was quite interesting that I would be recruited by somebody with, uh, you know, a family name. Right, and no relation. Anyway. No, no relation. Well, not that I know of. I, I, I didn't inquire <laughs> at the time. So um, anyways, uh, it took actually quite a while to get in for some reason because I actually wanted to be a policewoman at the time. Right. And he did say that the trade was not open. So yeah. I said, well, I'll wait. And in the meantime... I was, uh, you know, still in school anyway. Then when I was out of school, I actually briefly landed a job with the Toronto Star. As a reporter? uh, Yeah, well, no, in the circulation department. I had a friend, a girlfriend that actually worked there, and her father worked there. So, you know, I was quite fortunate to get in. And, uh, well, you know, uh, who knows where I would have gone if I had stayed there. I could have been a reporter. Who knows? But anyways, uh, the very next day as I'm getting ready for work for the Toronto Star, who should call but Warren Officer Mackay? Yes. (laughs) Hey, we have an opening you might be interested in. Yeah. So he did tell me, he did say that they had an MP course going in six months or they had a supply tech going in six weeks. And I said to him, what, you know, what is supply? He goes, oh, you know, you'll, you'll like it. I said, I'll take it. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I just really wanted to be in the military. Yeah. What I did, actually, I, I went, um, I hopped on a train and took a little vacation. And I went out to Calgary. And uh, I had a brother out there. So, you know, just to spend uh, the last six weeks of my freedom, I uh, I had a nice vacation. <laughs> so you know what I mean about the freedom. <laughs> Absolutely. So it was yeah. a short short time in Calgary. You had a quick holiday, and then you went off yes, to basic training in Cornwallis, I suppose. Yes, I sure did. So then uh, came back home, and I, I remember distinctly getting on the plane at Trenton, Trenton Air Base. Yeah. And that was my very first uh, time on an aircraft which, of course, I felt nauseated, you know, for the first time. Good thing I had the window seat. Landed in... Landed in. Uh, well, you couldn't roll Cornwall. down the window seat to vomit, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that was good for you or not. No. So, I, I can't remember where we would have landed. Anyway, uh, you know, then we got on a bus. There was uh, staff waiting for us at the airport and took us to the base. Ah, what a pleasant and bunch they were. Pardon me? What a pleasant bunch the staff was. Oh, yeah, yeah. They looked like uh, prison guards <laughs> escorting you to, you know, to the base. So there was uh, other girls already there, and they had coveralls on. And I thought to myself, oh, look, they've already got their uniforms. Not, not, <laughs> not realizing they were actually just, you know, coveralls until such times as you got the uniforms. Anyway, so basic training was actually quite exciting. You know, I really enjoyed that. And I thought, wow, 
this is really my bag because it was very physical. And I was a very physical girl. You know, I was actually very athletic. And uh, so going through basic training was uh, no problem for me. And, and really what they were trying to teach you, I thought, is to be, you know, disciplined, obviously, but clean and tidy. And uh, my mother was always a clean and tidy person. So, you know, I already had that. Uh, that trait. That, yeah, that training to be, you know, clean, tidy and organized. So anyway, my, my, then I went from Cornwallis to uh, Canadian Forces Base Borden for my... One, one, let me interrupt training. you just to clarify on Cornwallis. Oh, yeah. where, where, did you have any issues uh, as a woman in uh, Cornwallis or did that all go smoothly for you? Well, actually, I'm glad that you mentioned that. We were in an all-girl platoon. Mm-hmm. We, we started out with 104 and ended up graduating with 54. So there was other male platoons there. And, of course, they were quite rude at times. Nasty names. I think you probably have heard some of them. The instructors, what? you mean? No, no, the, um, the other platoons, the men in ah, the other okay. platoons. Yeah. No, actually, they, the instructors were very good. And uh, I do remember our male instructor. His name was Sergeant Rushworth. Fantastic man. He was a PPCLI sergeant. Mm-hmm. Excellent man. And we had uh, female um, instructors as well. Okay. And so that was that was very upsetting because, you know, um, getting called names by the um, men in the other platoons. And, and of they course weren't they'd brought immediately into check by the uh, instructors? Um, well, so, yes, I think they were. They they had to do push-ups. You know, they were, they'd get <laughs> yelled at. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and we would just obviously have to take that, uh, you know, uh, that uh, abuse from them. The, the, the vocabulary that they used wasn't very uh, very nice at all. Okay. And uh, actually, I, I do recall uh, we, we sometimes had to compete with the different platoons. And uh, I was, uh, I had to do the backstroke in, in the swimming pool, you know, the Olympic-sized swimming yep. pool. Anyway, I was uh, almost winning and uh, <laughs> everybody was just really getting excited. You know, I thought, oh, wow, I'm almost winning here. But I really didn't know how to do the backstroke very well, and the water was coming over my face, and I thought, oh, gosh, I can't breathe. Anyway, uh, so that was, that was, you know, we did have to compete against uh, the male platoon sometimes, so that was kind of fun. Right. So, as I mentioned, uh, then I went off to Borden, and I uh, was at CivCell for about 11 or 12 weeks to do my trade uh, training there. And they were rather strict in their... Uh enforcement of the rules and regulations, CIFCEL. I remember even when I was in Borden for my medical training, CIFCEL was renowned for being rather um, difficult on their, their trainees. Yeah. Well, um, my memory of it, I, I, don't, I don't really have bad memories of CIFCEL. You know, the instructors were very good. A lot of um, sleepy days in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. Death and by I was PowerPoint. On- yeah, exactly. And I was on Pat Platoon before that uh, for a couple of weeks. So I was over at the transport section yeah. working as an administrative clerk and um, doing a little bit of typing and, you know, things like that, helping out the clerk there. And she actually did say to me, oh, why don't you, ad- you know, remuster over to admin because I was, 
you know, I guess I was doing quite a good job for her, but I said, no, I think I'd rather stick with supply. It sounds a little bit more exciting than basically sitting at a desk all day typing, you know? So anyway, after trade school, they did ask what uh, bases we wanted to go to as they do. So I chose Petawawa for my first posting because of course it was close to home. The next base I chose was Edmonton and then Calgary. So I was uh, sent to Edmonton, so I arrived there. <laughs> I of was, course. Yeah. <laughs> so off I went to Edmonton, but it was an actually it was an Air Force base at the time. Right. It wasn't an, it wasn't the uh, the mega base that it is now. Right. So I I landed there at uh, Base Supply, and uh, very very nice people. You know, uh, it it's. I hope I'm not insulting anybody on the phone, but it's true what they say, gentlemen of the Air Force, and and, and I'll tell you the reason why after that. However, when I was at Edmonton, I do, I do recall uh, clearing in, you remember that process, clearing in, oh, yeah. speaking with the base chief warrant officer, very nice man. He could see that I was uh, obviously Nervous. young. I was only 20, at the time, and uh, he did warn me. He said, uh, you know, just make sure that you never go to the Rosalind Hotel. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, <laughs> because... Yes, I've been there a couple of times. <laughs> okay, because, you see, uh, Greaseball was uh, the airborne yes. side of the house, and, and the army side of the house. That's why I ended up there. Oh, right. <laughs> so I took his, you know, I took his instructions to heart, and I really did. I pardon. Probably very wise of you. Yes, and um, you know because the training you get, I I didn't have trouble following the rules. You know, no fraternization, big sign on the door, no male personnel allowed. You know that yeah, that was yeah. it. You know, case closed. However, uh, that's where I did actually first experience sexual harassment. There was uh, a soldier, I don't know who it was, it was always a mystery, who would, you know, write little dirty notes on my door. We had these little whiteboards that you could write little notes because, Steve, in those days, as you recall, we had no phones. How did you get in touch with people? You actually wrote in the letters, the notes and things. You you did, yeah. Yeah. Kids today don't understand what that is. No. So everybody uh, usually in the barracks would have a whiteboard. So if your friend came, you know, they'd give you a message and you could get in touch with them. And, um, so I was getting these, uh, horrible, disgusting messages and pictures on my whiteboard. So I phoned the, uh, the, uh, military police and they came to see me and they did say, you know, well, there's nothing we can do really unless they hurt you. And I thought, okay, well, in case you find me dead, <laughs> somebody, you know, is stalking me. Yeah. Well, at least the good part part of that is it was before cell phones and you weren't getting uh, the famous dick pics. You were just getting drawings of them. Yes, yes. I'm not sure that's much better. but <laughs> Or the obscene phone calls. Yeah. So because of that experience as you can appreciate, well, maybe you cannot, but it made me very anxious, slightly paranoid to go out by myself. Yeah. 
to even even to go to the communal washrooms and in you're the only morning. 19. Yeah, like 19, 20 years old. And I was afraid to go to the bathroom because it was communal, so you never know who was going to be in that bathroom at night, you know, if you had to get up in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. So I was I was becoming paranoid, basically. <clears throat> and, so I, and did you get over that paranoia? Uh, well, yes and no. So I went to the doctor to tell him what was going on. I said, you know, I'm feeling very nervous, very anxious, told him what was going on. So he prescribed mood-altering drugs for anxiety. And so I took a couple of pills, but I actually felt suicidal. Mm-hmm. I, I took about five of them. Yeah. From the meds. So I, I'm, I, I can't take pills. I'm, I'm just not a good pill taker. Right. And so I, I threw them away and uh, I, I went back to tell him how, you know, these pills that he gave me were affecting me and that I was still anxious and nervous. And I don't know if I should say this, uh, you know, but the doctor said to me, well, I recommend that you need a lover. I mean, I'm only 20 years old, Steve. And, and the doctor is recommending this. This is the doctor. Jesus. And then he said, enough. and I, I did say to him, well, I'm only 20. And he said to me, well, you know, um, if you can't find somebody that he'd be willing to be that person. Jesus. Yeah. So that was my introduction to military life right off the bat. And you didn't run away screaming. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I just said, well, th- I, to my, the thoughts at the time were, well, that's it. I'm going to cure myself. So, of course, I never went back and I threw the pills out. Yeah. You know, and, and just lived with the fact that uh, I, I would be anxious and um, always on the on my guard. So I actually never went anywhere. <laughs> I'm still, without, I'm still, my mind is still reeling over the taking a lover. How is that in any way supposed to relieve your anxiety? And then well, exactly. him offering How, to, oh, yeah. that's disgusting. Yeah, so I mean, that, that was a big shock, right? And of course, I've never told people this story up until recently. Mm-hmm. Up until recently, because I put it all out on paper and I sent it to Veterans Affairs. So, but that's, you know, we can talk about that later. Yeah. Anyways, um, so th- that's what I had to deal with in Calgary. So I was an avid athlete. My um, after hours activities were running. I don't know, have you been to Edmonton, did you see? Oh, yes. N- uh, did my, N- uh, I, did they no, call it in the mail? The uh, Nemeo the Nemeo side? Uh, no, I can't. I think that's what they called it. Can't yeah. Anyway, what they it. so if you go up, you know, to um, the Air Force Bay, well, it's the Army base now, but there's beautiful long highway. I used to run for miles and miles and miles, and there was a beautiful woods there too, which I used to run through. So that was my after-hour uh, activity. Stress and burner. then I, yeah, exactly, yeah, and and I. I do find physical activity is good for your, well, obviously your body, but it's also good for your mind. Oh, so absolutely. You, feel, you know, so that was always my remedy because I, I actually did discover that when I was in school. One year when I was at school in Toronto, I didn't take gym class. They called it gym. Yeah, of course, yeah. 
And I noticed that I was getting slightly depressed. And I thought, ooh, I don't like this feeling. And then, of course, the next year I took gym again. And it was the physical activity, you see, that uh, really uh, puts positive uh, pheromones into your system. So happy. (laughs) You ended up even fitter because... um you had time on your hands while not exactly. taking your doctor's advice and taking him on as a lover, of course, gave you more time on your hands. So you had to fill Precisely. <laughs> it just still boggles <laughs> my mind. Anyway. Yeah, I know. So, so you, anyway, um, from there, um, well, I, I worked at various places on the base. I worked actually um, at the survival training school. Right. And there, that's another place where I experienced um, pretty bad conduct from the Sartex. And they probably won't like to hear this, and if they're even listening, they'd probably remember if they were in, 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 you know, Edmonton at the time. They were doing some training, and uh, they asked me to come into the training room. They were watching a movie. And I thought, well, why would I want to go in and watch their training? Yeah. And so I go in, and you'll never guess what was the training film. Was it a pornography uh Oh, uh, yes, it was. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. So I was And this, quite this was horrified. what year now? Well, I that would have been about 1983 by this time. Jesus. 82, 83. Mm-hmm. So I was quite uh, taken aback by that. I was quite disgusted, really, because I'd never seen a pornography film before. Mm. And um, I thought, wow. So I just went into, uh, you know, back into uh, my my work area and uh, didn't want to anything. No, it really changes your opinion of people, doesn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I I, I suppose they get a chuckle out of it from shock value or something, but yeah, you're, you're Although, not going to make any friends that way. No, no. Although uh, I do remember some people would always have, you know, poster girls, Playboy pictures back in those days. That's what they did. You know, they had that type of, yeah, blatant pornography. And and so that's what I thought, oh, gosh, you know, I, uh, you you really don't know how to deal with it. So I basically isolated myself, Steve. Did did you you have other close female friends who? uh, Yes. Exactly. I had other female friends and uh, I just basically stuck to them and uh, carried on. So then I, uh, from Edmonton, I got posted to Calgary and that was an army base, completely different environment. You know, it was very uh, physical we signed in there. There was a PPCLI sergeant who was the drill sergeant, and there was a contract you had to sign, basically promising to keep yourself fit, you know, going through all the different rules and the regulations. And uh, I signed it. So, of course, and I take things like that to heart. Right. So it was no problem for me to always be fit. And that was actually in the days, I don't know if you remember, they used to actually take calipers, Steve, and measure your BMR, yes, your body fat. So I was always afraid, of course, to be overweight. So I 
kept a you know a strict diet as well because I, I didn't want to be kicked out of the army because of course that's was my career choice. I didn't want to give them any excuses to get rid of me. And did you feel there was that sort of pressure to get rid of you? Yes, I did actually. When I when I first cleared in to base supply in Calgary, the uh, company sergeant major at the time, I, I do recall him vividly and his name, which I won't mention, mm-hmm. he looked me up and down and he said to me, well, I can't say that I'm glad to have you here because you're just another woman taking up another man's spot on the base side. And of course, you're inside, yeah, inside I felt like crying. I, I didn't know what to think, say, or do. And I just thought, wow, what a reception. <laughs> well, this, this guy isn't your immediate supervisor, I don't imagine. Who who was your immediate supervisor? Was he... Was it a he or a she? Female? Male? It was a, it was a, a, a she. But she was no better, and I'll tell you a story about that after. Okay. So, you know, unfortunately, my experience has been you were battling both sexes at times. Mm-hmm. You know, you had the uh, male ego, the male superiority, the male domination and discrimination from the male side, but mm-hmm. then... You also had that from the female side. In in what respect? Well, in what respect? Just the way they treated you. You know, um, one one of the female sergeants that I had, you know, she tried to control who my friends were. She told me I couldn't I couldn't have uh, any friends who I worked with. We, we were not permitted to socialize after work. Well, how? what the hell were you expected to do? Well, like, yeah, that's what I thought. And she actually uh, bounced me around. She actually physically, you know, throttled me. And, and... Well, was, needless to say, I phoned the MPs on her, and, uh, you know, that kind of took care of that situation. But, so did they actually uh, so do any, something about it? Well, she, she, yeah, they did. They basically told her to back off and, you know, leave me alone. But, of course, then that, you're not off on a good foot, are you? Well, no, but you're not on a good foot because the supervisors you have are not on a good foot. So how, how are yeah. you expected to, you know, be Yeah, so how do you navigate this hostile environment? It, and, and and it was, it was hostile back in those days. That was in the days, sometimes you settled the score with somebody, you took them out beside, you know, the back of the building and you duped it out. Right. <clears throat> Anyways, um, so there's one company sergeant major, of course, he was the overall, you know, platoon commander. So, of course, uh, although he wasn't my immediate supervisor, he was always there, ready to pounce at any given moment if he, you know, if you didn't, tie your bootlaces upright or <laughs> didn't carry your weapon right, you know? And uh, anyway, so uh, I, I want to tell you, the only thing that really got me through all that again was being a physical person. So you got some we, grudging respect from the uh, the troops and your supervisors? Begrudging. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And so a couple of um, experiences that I had there, was during the two by tens that's marching 10 miles, two days in a row with your rucksack, your weapon, your helmet, and your web belt. 
And uh, so we we started early in the morning, in the cool of the morning. And one guy ran all the way, and I thought, oh, you're allowed to run. And uh, I thought, well, my uh, method, what I would do, I would run a telephone pole, walk a telephone pole. So I did that all the way. So I was actually going to come in second in this Mm 2 by 10 And uh, there was one of the other platoon warrants, of course, was struggling to keep up and pass me. (laughs) And this is where I did. (laughs) It was so funny. It was quite comical. I thought, wow, look at this guy. He really can't stand to see me coming in second. You know, he was trying his darndest to, to pass me. So I thought to myself, well, if it means that much to you, go ahead, cross the line. So I came in third. (laughs) <laughs> and you know they did they probably didn't know what to do with me because I thought oh yeah just another woman but you know I can certainly uh march and carry a rucksack yeah and then uh yeah <laughs> so, so what do we do with her <laughs> yeah what do we she, do with she's her she's actually qualified for the job <laughs> we, we... yeah <laughs> and and then after that, though, um, because I was a corporal, you had to do what they call canteen duty, which was right. going at break times into the little canteen and serving coffee, tea, donuts, yeah. candies, right? And so, of course, the senior NCOs come in, Steve, and they'd be talking absolute filth, absolute and utter filth. Uh, degrading women, talking about what they did to them on the pool table the night before. Now, these are, some of them are married men talking very, very disgusting and vulgar. So needless to say, I I slammed down the, uh, you know, the counter at the canteen and I thought, I'm not staying here serving these guys. (laughs) (laughs) You want coffee, they, give it your damn selves. Exactly. <laughs> so I said, I'm out of here. So my my female sergeant, she goes, what are you doing here? And I told her what had happened. He said, I'm not going back in there. I'm, I am absolutely not serving them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, do they not have wives? Do they not have daughters? Why are, why are they actually talking? Yeah, mothers. Yeah. You know, so... I guess I was a bit rebellious, so they did, they really didn't know what to do with me because I am not going into that environment. You know, serve your own coffee and get your own chocolate bar. It won't be by me. <laughs> I'm not giving you a Mr. Big and listening to your story about Mr. Big. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I'm still I'm still trying to get over the dock part. Examination. Well, there's worse to come. There's, there's worse. To come. There's worse. Jesus. There's worse. <laughs> All right then. Well. What, Alrighty then. What What the hell worse so, was coming? Well, I'll I'll just tell you. But I just want to tell you another um, uh, another experience of the discrimination and the uh, the stereotype that the military and some of the people in the military put on women. Now, there was um, a scientific test going on. Now, I can't recall what year this was. It could have been maybe 89 time frame. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was this big scientific test that the military was conducting about men and women, probably because of women going into the field. Right. And so there was 100 men, PPCLI, and 50 women, you know, from various units, including my own. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the physical fitness tests were doing a 10 miler in the gymnasium, full kit, you know, just like a two by 10. Mm-hmm. And every so often, you know, you'd be in there and they'd be blowing a whistle. So you'd go the other way. And uh, I do recall the uh, PPCLI captain, you know, giving some advice to them in there, you know, making sure you tape your feet, make sure the rucksack's as high as, high as it'll be, and, and then you should be all right. So anyway, you know, I, I made sure I did the same because I, I overheard what he was saying. Yeah. Anyway, so off we go on this uh, 10-miler in the gymnasium in Calgary, and uh, I noticed that some of these big guys were dropping out like flies. I thought, what the heck's wrong with them? You know, they obviously have blisters and they had to go and sit down. And uh, there was 10 women at the time and they, uh, all but two women fell out. So that left myself and another supply tech. And, the flag, uh, holding up the flag for the women. Holding up the flag for our unit. Yeah. And uh, so as I'm marching along, the scientists, they come over and they ask, you know, they ask me, what am I thinking about? I said, well, I'm not thinking about actually what I'm doing. I'm putting my mind outside my body. And every time I pass the door, I look outside to the beautiful trees and the grass and I can hear the birds. So I'm, I'm actually pretending I'm out there, <laughs> not marching 10 miles in a gym with the full kit, oh, you know? I, I feel, yeah, I've done it myself, yeah. Yeah, so he said, oh, he said to me, you're going to make it. And I said, oh, well, thank you. So that kind of, you know, made me feel good that I was doing something right. Anyway, so here I am marching away, marching away, and I'm passing everybody. You know, I'm lapping them in the gym. And, you know, I lapped the other girl a couple of times, lapped, uh, you know, all these PPCLI. And so almost, you know, we're getting to the finish, and there was a, a a PPCLI warrant officer and a master corporal who was a, a signalman, and they said, "Wendy, can we cross the finish line with you?" And I thought, "Well, why would they want to do that?" Mm-hmm. Well, I guess because the brigade commander was there, and it would have been humiliating for them if I crossed the line first. First, <laughs> so I said to them, "Yes." We can cross the line together, but I said, if I see you pulling out, I said, I will run across that line, you know, <laughs> and if it's your ego, uh, you know, this is a, a individual competition for physical prowess, and I will not be, you know, left in the dust just because you guys want to, you know, make a statement here. So we all, we all agreed to cross the line together, and we did. And he came over and he shook my hand after, so did the master corporal, and uh, as as did the brigade commander, because they couldn't believe it, right? Yeah. They could, they could not believe this. Well, just to give you um, what? a picture of uh, my stature, I'm five foot eight and I'm slender. I, I'm, you know, I'm broad-shouldered, tapered at the waist. So I'm a, I'm a, a physical, athletic-looking person. Right, and at that time you would have been the same? Yeah, I'm, I'm still the same. I've never, never changed. Although obviously I'm 61, and you know, so you're a little not slower. as good looking, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm still five foot eight and and slender. Um, and so for my age, you know, um, I, I I haven't changed much. Put it that way. Anyways, um, so that of course raised my profile within the company of. Uh, 
the service battalion and supply, of course, because I brought them good kudos. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking here, hearing this, that this would put you in good stead or stead, and you would have no more problems. Well, you would think that, wouldn't you? (laughs) That's not what happened. Yeah, no, no, that's not what happened because, um, that, you know, some, I don't, well, it's obviously just a person's nature to be that way. Is it learned behavior? I don't know what it is. Um, you know, there was a, a captain that came over from the field side, uh, from the infantry side. He as well, you know, he, he can see that there's women in the platoon. And of course, when you come from the infantry, there's no women. And of course, you know, looking down his nose at us, making us all feel like we're completely inferior decides that he's going to run with us one morning with our combat boots on when we were used to running with, you know, shorts, t-shirt and running Mm -hmm. shoes. And, um, so I thought, well, he's obviously going to treat us like he treated the infantry with, because I know that they run with their combat boots on Anyway, so here we are on the morning physical training, going to do a run with, and uh, there was, of course, maybe four, possibly five women in the platoon at that time from both uh, the field and the the base side, because we all did PT together. And they fell out, but I didn't. And, you know, I could see him looking around, feeling pretty proud of himself, and I thought, well, you want to run? We're going to run. So I took uh, I took the lead and uh, I increased pace, and I was going you know uh, as fast as I could. And you know, ironically enough, it was just one of those days, Steve, where I had just this increased energy level. Yeah. Don't know what it was. You just feel you good. You know. Yeah, it was just one of those mornings where I could just fly. So here I am running along and I could hear coughing and sputtering, (laughs) choking. And I looked over at this captain and his face was all red and he was sweating. And I thought (laughs) to myself, yeah, how does it feel now to run with combat boots on? Not so good. (laughs) And he's not exactly leading from the front. (laughs) No, no, not at all. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to increase it just a a little notch more. And I was about 30 feet in front of them all coming towards the back gate at Calgary. And there were other units, uh, you know, doing their morning physical fitness and they could see me and they were looking and I thought they all started cheering. So it was kind of humiliating experience you see for the captain. Then he, he made me stop once I got to the back gate till everybody caught up with me. But but why do you have to go to that extent, you know, to, to fit in? Yeah. Why do you have to go to that extent? Because you're a woman. And so you're getting some, some respect from the, the infantry now, but you're probably not getting uh, any, any friendlier with the, the women there because you're showing them up as well. them. Yes. yes, exactly. So there's petty so, jealousy going on there. Precisely. So it was a very, very hard environment for me for the six years that I was there. And I remember one, uh, when I was working um, at a certain section, we had a female sergeant posted in who was my boss. She was actually came from Cornwallis. And the first thing she said to me was not hello. 
not who she was. You know, what she says to me is sweep the floor. (laughs) Sweep the floor. I said, sweep the floor, is it? (laughs) I said, we have have staff to sweep the floor, so I'm not sweeping any floor. I mean, honestly, (laughs) the level of of rudeness. And and what what was rudeness supposed to serve? You know, well, exactly. Their job is to make you a better soldier or attempt to make you a better soldier. So despite all your naivete, you you had a tenacious streak in you. Um, I did. A bit of a pit bull bite. You definitely weren't going to give up easily. No. So what was this this worst that can happen other than the doctor? Well, yeah. Well, okay, what worse? Well, after experiencing all this level of discrimination, at times harassment, the bul- mm-hmm. you know, still with the vulgarities, yeah. it, it still leaves you with um, ang- feeling anxiety, feeling stress. I actually started to self-medicate, which was drinking, mm-hmm. you know, which is certainly not ideal. No, it's not one of the recommended methods. <laughs> no, no. And so then I thought, well, I'm going to go see a priest. Mm. Well, you know where this is going. Uh Uh-huh. Right. So I went to see the priest and his area of, um, his area of expertise was psychology. Mm -hmm. And so I was also Catholic, which is a very, uh, in my day, very strict religion. You know, you put these people on pedestals because you've, you're made to believe that they are, you know, the hand of God next yeah. to God. You do what they say. And I was in a Catholic school, which was, you know, another horrendous experience in itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he actually ended up raping me. And so I, at, of course, felt like... At the yeah. church? Yes. Yeah. In his office. Yeah. And, oh, fuck. Oh. And, of course, I didn't say anything for years. So you're... I held this, I felt like I was the devil. I felt, how could, how could I tempt a man of the cloth? How could I? You, you took the blame. Uh, you I said, took the blame. And yeah, yeah, I did. I, I think this is, this is a part that's difficult for many, many people, men or women, and especially men, I suppose, to accept. Like, you know, they, they often, so often it's said, why didn't you report it earlier or, why didn't you report it? And I guess, I guess the answer to that, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that you you feel that you've somehow done something to provoke this man into acting yes. the way he did. Yes, I did. Yeah. Like I said, I, I felt like I was the, the antichrist, the devil. And you know, what what did that do with your relation with uh, with religion? Well, after that, I really, I didn't want to have anything to do with uh, being a Catholic no, I religion can't say I blame you. in general. And, uh, but just before I mention that, I do want to say that uh, he also did this to one of his congregation uh, women, and he did end up getting uh, charged and kicked out of the military. So it was, it wasn't... Uh, just me. So, so there was some justice. Know, he eventually. he did get yes yes. So there there was. But you wonder anyway. You sorry. Yeah. You wonder 
how many before you, you know? Yes. Yeah. So of course I, I was really, really messed up, uh, Steve over that very, very, for years, you know, for years. Well, we'll we'll talk about PTSD again in a moment, but sure. And and it doesn't matter what caused the PTSD. What, what matters is how it's treated and and how you learn to use tools to, to move Mm -hmm. on. But would you say this would, was the episode that would have, you know, traumatized you, given you a PTSD? Uh, oh, a instantaneous, instantaneous, yes. Because had, had you grown, had you been growing up, you had mentioned in another conversation that you know you grew up poor, had nothing, but you had a good mother, good strong character from the way you speak of her. And uh, was there anything in your childhood that? that would have triggered something like that or? Oh, I'm, I'm sure there was because, um, my, my, uh, I came from a broken home. I was in the children's aid society, you know, and, uh, suffered some similar abuse when I was a child. So, yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. So it's, that's brutal. But, it is. It is. And, and, you know, we, I try to do these things and try to put a positive spin on things, but there's just absolutely no way to put a positive spin on that. Other than, no. other than to say that the minister was defrauded. Took advantage, yeah. Took advantage of somebody that was seeking help. Yeah. And maybe what, not seeking help from God, but just somebody to speak to, you know. Yeah, because that's their job. Yeah. Confession and helping people. Anyways, uh, so, but I am a spiritual person. And uh, I did meet a lovely girl who we used to study the Bible together. I studied the Bible for 10 years with her, mm-hmm. and it was like in-home study. I didn't have to go to a church, didn't have to be in a, you know, um, controlled environment right. with a priest or a minister. So it was this lovely young woman who we used to have, you know, very, very nice chats about uh, spiritual things, you know. So that was that was a, a positive experience. And although, although you were scarred by a religious experience, or at least a person of some some standing in in your religion, you you still you still ha- hung on to some sort of faith to uh, help you through these times. Yes, yes, I've always enjoyed going to church from time to time. And I just, what I learned is I will have my own relationship with God, mm-hmm. the creator or the higher power. So I have my own relationship and nobody is going to dictate or interfere with that relationship. Would, would you say that your relationship now, uh, and stop me if I, I go too far off of uh, um topic here, would you say that your your um, faith now is is based more on a on a natural nature thing. Like you you believe that there's a, a deity of some sort who who doesn't necessarily care about everything you do. Like you know the the Christian God cares about everything you do. Would you say that you you are more one with believing that there is a creator? And that uh, he tries to do good, but is not necessarily involved in every part of your life. Yes, I, I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah, that's yeah. Because, because uh, 
we should have another conversation one day about uh, religion. Myself. Yeah, and, uh, because as well as having that thought, uh, um, you you did mention I was a funeral director, right, for ten years. So I I have come to terms with my own mortality. You know, um, I read this really really good book. It was called The Demon Haunted World. If you've got any notions about being afraid, because that's one thing that the Catholic religion always uh, instilled was fear. Right. You know, uh, if if you ever want to never be afraid again, uh, read that book, The Demon Haunted World. The Demon Fantastic. Haunted World. Who, yes. uh, who wrote it, you know? I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, over the conversation, uh, you know, I, I might remember it. Yeah, well, when I'm... When I'm uh... This Could up. be Dr. Carl Sagan, perhaps. I don't know if you've heard of him. Of course, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so faith helped you get you through. Health sort of faith sort of got you. Yes. Scarred, but it also got you through some t- yes. difficult times. Yeah, because I think you 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 gain strength by that. You know, you in a way you gain strength by all your experiences because that's one thing my mother always said chalk it down to experience yeah good or bad it's an experience you know and um i think i'd very much like your mother <laughs> she seems like a very she was quite yes yeah, she really was yeah and uh so so how how did you make the jump from uh the military to a funeral director in Scotland. Yeah, well, that's very interesting in itself. Um, when I was posted to Petawawa, well, I went to I went to Bosnia in '98 for the second time, and uh, there was a soldier from Three RCR who passed away, and we were involved in his repatriation. And there was a young female captain at the time who went to his autopsy in Zagreb, went mm-hmm. through, you know, the uh, the funeral preparation. We put on a, a, a nice reception for his uh, RSM and the, uh, you know, the contingent that came through to escort him back to Canada. Mm-hmm. So everybody was really, you know, quite impressed how we, we handled it. And and just and for I those thought, that don't know, just uh, let me interrupt you for a second, Wendy. For those that don't know, when a person comes comes into uh, the military and he's injured or he or she is injured, um, that that um, problem lies to the medical system. Medical system tries to fix them. If they don't try to fix, if they can't fix or heal the uh, the, the person and he passes on, then that person is no longer a medical problem. He's a supply problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yes. that's where you guys come in. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for uh, clarifying that. So that's when I got the first inclination that this is that would be my second career, because I was intrigued by Captain Ritchie's. Oh, I don't know if I should say her name. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're giving her a pod, pat on the back, so I think it's all right. So I was uh, very impressed with the captain's um, stories and her, you know, after action report about what the process was. So that's when I got the first um, idea that this would be my second career when I got out of the military. Mm -hmm. 
So when, you know, obviously we came back to Canada and life goes on and I met, I met a man who ironically was from Scotland who asked me to get married and, uh, and, and your mother's I, Scottish as well, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. My mother is Scottish. So I thought, well, that'll be kind of interesting to go over there and see my mother's side of the family. Yeah. And, uh, so I went to Scotland in 2003 and, um, phoned a couple of funeral homes got hired on and uh, yeah, went through all the training to become a funeral director and an embalmer. So I worked for 10, 10 years in that field, which was actually another male dominated environment. Which, uh, but, which um, as we spoke about earlier, what is, it was unusual because traditionally women looked after the, uh, the uh, bodies, the washing and carrying mm-hmm. of the bodies and wrapping of them. And the men did the heavy lifting, you know, they built the, the coffins. And at that time it was a, you know, the six sided coffin or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And you, you, yeah. this was only a couple of generations before you were stepping into that role. Yeah. But in Scotland, it, it wasn't the done thing you see, maybe in Canada it was, but it certainly was not in, uh, in Scotland or England. It was always a male dominated traits because yeah they did feel that women were too fragile to participate and sometimes they weren't actually even permitted to go to the cemetery because they did get the vapors yes (laughs) (laughs) so yeah smelling salts under the nose so (laughs) anyway uh it was quite a good experience there. You know, a, a lovely, lovely people that I met and worked with. Certainly a breath of fresh air from the, uh, you know, the harassment and the uh, discrimination that I experienced uh, in the military. So you were certainly treated well within the death. Industry. Yes, I certainly was. Yes. Well, good. Uh, yeah. Do you attribute that to being a foreigner or just because you were competent and... Um... Yeah, just I think because of who I was and because I actually did have a little bit of experience under my belt prior to, you know, going over to Scotland. I, I actually did work uh, in Pembroke and in Ottawa in in um, two funeral homes just to see if I was suited. So I already had, I wouldn't necessarily say training, but I had, you know, a, a very good I Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I, I knew what to do, and I actually could uh, show them a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, uh, education, what they did in Canada, you know? Right. So, yeah, it was very respectful. I mean, I had, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say a lot of issues, but, you know, there's all, there's always a, a minor a minor disruption in your life, and n- nothing can ever go smooth, but certainly nothing noteworthy, Steve. Well, Certainly, if everything is smooth all the time, we'd be leading quite boring lives. <laughs> exactly, yes. So you, you spent the 10 years. You, you had no children at, time, at this time in uh, Scotland, did you? Yes, I had four children while I was in the military. Oh, did you? Yes, I sure, I sure did. Yep. What, rank, what rank did you retire with, by the way? I retired as a sergeant. Okay, well done. Um, so let's move on a bit to... So you've had some some genuinely... I'm not. I'm not sure. Horrific overstates it. I would certainly say some horrific experiences with the priest and with the uh, with the doctor. These are two two people you should be able to trust without question. But obviously that that didn't happen. Um, 
when 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 did you when did you get the um, the diagnosis of uh, PTSD? Well, the diagnosis came actually about a year ago. Okay. But I always knew I had it because you can feel it, you experience it. What What were you and, experiencing and feeling that? Uh... Well, you know, I, I I felt anxious, depressed, nightmares. You know, uh, suicidal thoughts, self-loathing. Because you know, feelings of becoming unglued. Yeah. Chaos. You know. Um, Horrible. Uh, I, I actually experienced extreme pain. I, I was at one point curled up in the fetal position, thinking, "This is it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to die here." How long? How long did you go through these feelings? Like, years. Like I'm 60 years old. I joined when I was 20, or pardon me, 19. So 19 to 60. And so years, and, and it was only recently that I felt like I need some, some help. help here. Yeah, because I, I, I don't know what's triggering me, but I'm definitely triggered into mm-hmm. this accelerated state of PTSD. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure listening to your story I would call it an accelerated. I'd say there was a gradual increase of, of speed or symptoms. And, and oh, I, you, I guess, yes, that's you, not the, the right word, but um, I feel really bad at the moment. Like, you know, all this has caught right up to me, and it's it's the worst it's ever been. So, so you sought whatever you, word, whatever you, word that is. You sought help right away, or not right yes, away. Yes, I did. I did. Once yeah, you realized I what did. was going on. Yes, yeah. I went to see the doctor, yeah. And how, how did that, how'd that go for you? Oh, well, it went good because, uh, you know, I, it's a nurse practitioner that we, we see uh, here where I live and mm-hmm. very, very understanding, very kind, very, I mean, he, the man should be a doctor. That's how good he is. Mm-hmm. So I told him, you know, my symptoms and I thought, uh, and I, I don't like taking pills and uh, I don't drink. So I stopped drinking when I, was uh, 39 years old, never touched a drop since, because I, I did realize drinking doesn't help. Pills don't help me. I'm too old to run anymore because I don't have, you know, I've got some aches and pains and other issues from my time in the field because I did have a skydiving accident as well. So oh, this, yes, I did. The physical fitness uh, part is, uh, I would say, minimal. Mm. Now, you know, I walk around my yard. Anyway, I, 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 I have a friend uh, who suggested that I contact Veterans Affairs and put in a claim for PTSD, so I did. And um, I was awarded, you know, a claim, and uh, they, they pay for me to see a, a, a therapist. So you've seen the therapist only a couple times now, I think you said before? Yes, just a couple of times, yeah. And you you're, you feel a benefit from it already? Yes, I do. Well, because it's nice to talk, isn't it? That's that's another aspect of trying self-help is just talking about it, talking about things that bother you. Yes, and, and a lot of the people that I spoke to, uh, the majority of people I spoke to, uh, spoke to on the topic of PTSD and... Uh, they feel 
a release, if you will, a release of tension when they're speaking to people who understand what they're going mm-hmm. through. You know, if you're talking exactly. to just some Joe on the street, they don't get it. No. So there's no there's no uh, therapy therapeutic um, um, success there. You need somebody that that knows what they're talking about. Exactly, and that's. I don't know if you heard that beep there. I pressed the phone. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's why I like talking to this military friend that uh, made the suggestion because exactly, you don't have to explain anything. They know. Yeah. Um, so I, two questions sort of to, 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 end, to go towards the closing. What would you say to a woman today uh, who wants to join the forces considering all the all the turmoil that um, is found in the upper leadership with the sexual harassment, um, sexual assault, um, just sexual bad shenanigans across the board. What would you and and what would you say to a woman to who wanted to join that that military? Well, that, that's a very good question. <clears throat> now. I've been out since 2002, and obviously things have not changed, but um, when I left, there were mechanisms in place, you know, where you could report harassment, and I think now that the spotlight and every, you know, they're under the looking glass now, there'll be little or no uh, excuses anymore to sweep things under the carpet. So if you want to join the military... If you, if you feel that's your calling in life, you know, I, I don't regret it, even though I went through those experiences. I always felt I had every right to be there, just like anybody, man or woman. And I really enjoyed my career. And you would do it you again? You know, I would certainly do it again. I would. And, uh, you know, actually, I used to, dream about it for at least five years after I got out of the military. Hmm. I did, you know, because that was my life. I, I, you know, you dedicate yourself to, to that career. And, um, I met some fantastic people. And by the time I got to Petawawa, and I think another thing that helped Steve is age. You're no longer a young innocent after you've heard the wor- word seasoned soldier, mm-hmm. well, you are. Right. With all the experiences that you gain, you know, all the um, people that you meet, you don't have to take abuse from anyone. And I certainly did not. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> I was about 37 years old, and I decided <clears throat> I'm not putting up with this anymore. <clears throat> Mind you, I I think I was 27 at the time when I decided I'm not taking any more guff off of people. I'm not going to allow myself to be abused, to just get that confidence to speak up for yourself. Yeah, but where where did that come from? Like... I guess the years of abuse, basically. I, I just didn't want to take it. I was just tired. Tired of being downtrodden. Yeah, You know, because I was the type of a person, because of, you know, my childhood and my other experiences, I I was not a very vocal person. I was very uh, shy, um, reserved, you know, and uh, after a while, I just felt like I broke out of my cocoon and uh, 
yeah, no, nobody's ever going to treat me like that again. And they, they just did not. Well, congratulations on that. I mean, I, I, like the, the listeners now don't know it, but we, we had a previous conversation where some of this was covered. And uh, what, what comes across to me is uh, you, you have an inner strength. I don't know where it comes from. You know, maybe some of it is faith. Maybe some of it's the influence of your mother. Um, and maybe it's just good ge- genetics that you will grasp the problem by the horns and mm-hmm. and sort it out. Like it may have taken you a year or two to to uh, get past the the rigors of of the military life and the bullshit that was considered uh, proper form then. But you were certainly somebody who uh, will rise to the occasion and put up a fight. Absolutely. So, so I, I think I think congratulations are well in order there. Um, so you would. Sorry, go ahead. I would yes, I was going to say, and I would encourage you know if if you want to join the military, but all means do because I have met some fantastic women in the military. Oh yes. You know, yeah, absolutely. You know that are very strong, very intelligent, very kind. Well, you know, and they deserve to be there. They deserve to be there. You can't take fifty percent of the population or fifty-one percent of the population, whatever women are in Canada now, and just say no. You can't you can't come to our club because these are these are fifty percent of the best and brightest that Canada has to offer. So to refuse exactly. them entry because men are uncomfortable by their presence or their their menstruation or whatever men are um, unco- uncomfortable with to 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 rule them out is just is lunacy. You're not you're not getting a better product by no. sabotaging some of your best people. No, and uh, you know to um, to lift these women up that you know do decide to join and uh, to to promote them and to inspire them and to you know like you would any man because that's the thing that was the good part about being in the military. I did uh, you know there was a great sense of camaraderie, a great sense of feeling equal, and and who is anyone just because you've come from a certain walk of life to take that away from you, you know? Yeah. So. I mean, I realize how privileged I am quite frequently. You know, first of all, I'm a white guy, um, very white. (laughs) Um, And I've never, never faced any sort of discrimination. I mean, I may have been in a foreign country and somebody said something to me, but, uh, you know, I was never affected by it. I, I was never harassed. Um, well, maybe on in the oil patch there was guys that you might call it hazing, but um, it was it was never anything I, I considered harassment. So I, I live in kind of a bubble in in many ways, um, you know. So I hear from a from a woman like yourself, some of these things go going on, and I think, where does this happen? How does it happen? You know, and who is letting it go on? Well. I guess I put it down to just being the human species. We are very predatory. Yes. There's a pecking order within the species, the alpha, female, and male. You know, and some people just cannot get away from those basic basic instincts. Yeah. They haven't, uh, you know... The evolution has not, uh, you know, in, in their line or in their mind has not come to the uh, the modern day. 
and they treat people. And it, <laughs> and it just may never come to the modern day. Yeah. So, um, just, you know, back what I would say to the women as well, anybody that wants, or any, and for a man as well, because don't forget now we've, we, you know, the military didn't want to have um, homosexuals in the military. Correct. That, that was another discrimination. Yep. You know, and I, my attitude was always, if you don't like me, well, that's not my problem. That's your problem. Yep. But you're going to see me every day here doing my job and I'll be having a smile on my face. So <laughs> nobody, nobody is going to run me out the door because I've got every right to be here just like you. So just remember that. Yeah. And, and the strength I admire the strength that that comes from. Um, I guess uh, PTSD. Uh, you've only you've only been in uh, in counseling or um, seeing a seeing a psychologist or nurse practitioner um, for a brief time here. What what would you say to somebody who's suffering through PTSD? What advice could you give them? Well, don't suffer alone. Reach out to friends, family, or uh, a therapist. There, there's help there. You know, don't don't suffer alone. You don't have to. Or tune into this program because I think it's it's very beneficial. Thank you. And uh, I, I think I, have, I actually have some friends who have, I'm blowing my own horn here a little bit, but I have some uh, psychologist friends who have recommend, recommended the, uh, the site to some of their patients. Um, because in the end, it is you know veterans trying to help veterans, and, and not even mm-hmm. veterans. I mean, cops, uh, frontline workers, anybody out there with PTSD um, can can learn, and if they're talking to each other, can say, "Here, here's what worked for me. You know, I recognize when I'm getting angry. Um, I no longer have to yell at the wife. I I can yeah. just step away from it, or you know, whatever. So there, uh, there's tools in place. So you mm-hmm. would say. You would say reach out and ask for help. Yes. And well, and also self-help and becoming aware because, you know, you're the only one that can help, really. Right. Other people can't help you. You are the only one that can help yourself. You need to take those first steps. Absolutely. Well, I think we summed that up rather well. Um, I'm, I'm still, I'm still gobsmacked by your story um there's so much more so much more we could go into and perhaps we will at another time if you feel like it yeah Um, yes yeah that would be that would be fine because unfortunately it has ruined you know it has ruined my marriages mm -hmm. that that activity so i i just feel that I, i cannot have a normal relationship with a person because of all my experiences so i choose to live alone I, I'd imagine you're not without suitors. Do you? Uh, do you no, do you, but do you... uh, I, I choose to live alone, and I think that's a protective, um, a protective uh, shield. You see? Yeah. That's... I mean, yeah. who can blame you? Uh, you've been, you know, you were betrayed by two people who should should be ridden out on a rail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's also, you know, um, for a lot of people that are alone, uh, you know, I, I feel you can, 
you can do a lot of self-healing when you're alone as well, you know. What so do you, what do you it's mean not by self-healing. Well, you know, just being your own best friend, caring for yourself. Making sure you eat, making sure you sleep. Yes. You know, making sure your environment is the way you want it, your your own little world, your own little nest. <laughs> the simple pleasures in life, you know. The laughter of smelling, your child. Smelling your the flowers, looking at the trees, <laughs> listening to the birds, you know. Yep. Fishing. Fishing. I, you, we mentioned fishing yesterday, and uh, I can't think of a better therapeutic uh, uh, activity ever. There's yes. something about being out on the water, casting that line, even if you don't catch anything. It's so zen-like, you know, you're just it is throwing it out there and wheeling it back. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Wendy, for, for talking to me about this. Um, again, it's, it's open anytime you want to talk about any topic again. Uh, I'm, I'm most weekly, uh, most likely available to, uh, to talk to you about it. I must say I admire your tenacity and, and your positive, uh, spirit. Um, and I, I would actually like to talk to you about PTSD in the future after you've gone through a little bit more treatment and see how it's helped you and maybe get you on yes. with, with uh, one or two of the other guys who, uh, um, have gone through PTSD and you guys can sort of swap, swap notes back and forth. Sure. Um, but yeah, well done. Is there anything you'd like to finish on? Not really, no. I just hope that anybody listening has found, you know, uh, the stories somewhat interesting, you know. I mean, somewhat shocking, yes, but uh, I'm still alive. And, uh, you know, every day as I wake up, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, not, every, not given up. Every I'm day not when you're looking up. down on the sod, it's always better than the alternative. Exactly. So I guess we'll end it up. We'll end it there, Wendy. Um, thanks a lot for uh, coming on to the show. Uh, I think I think it's going to spark a big discussion, and um, we'll try to sort through your busy um, schedule one one of these days shortly. And uh, my idea is to get a, a few of the PTSD uh, um, people. I I know a good number of my close friends who have gone through a number of programs. Some have only gone through one or two. Uh, but they're all still learning to deal with their issues, and mm-hmm. to to get a get a crowd of you around the table, if that's possible ever, <laughs> to uh, to talk about these things would would be very helpful. Because um, the stories that have been told already, I've gotten phone calls from guys uh, from from the U.S. I've gotten notes from guys from uh, Europe saying we listened to your uh, podcast and talked about so and so, and it was I really found it helpful, and I went and got help. So that's my hope in doing this, is that, you know, speaking to men and women like yourself about how to get through these, these traumas. And you are very successful. I mean, you, you haven't let PTSD define you. No. You are so much more than that, and uh, you, you realize that. So kudos to you. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I presume we're going to have a debrief, so I'll stay on the line. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll debrief, certainly. Okay. <laughs> All right. And thanks a lot, Wendy. And uh, I'll be back to you in a moment. All right, loyal listeners, the two of you. Again, we'll have Wagner playing in the background, Ride of the Valkyries, which again is very... Uh, uh, very much a song for our guest uh, Wendy 
So have a good one. Be kind to each other. It's a tough world out there right now, as it always is. And if you feel you need to uh, talk to, get a hold of somebody I've interviewed or want to talk to me, then uh, go ahead. Uh, my address is stevecopang at gmail.com. And uh, if you want to speak to somebody personally, I'll, I'll uh, see if they want to get in touch with you and uh, we'll make it happen. So thanks a lot for coming, guys. Have a good one.